We are jumping back into our time in Deuteronomy and we're nearing our end in the Ten Commandments and today we are going to uh, take the Eighth and the Ninth Commandment together under the umbrella of Christian integrity and I'll explain how that's going to fit in a bit. Let me read the, the two commands we will be going over. So this is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verses 19 and 20, which says, And you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So, I will show how this comes under Christian integrity and why uh, we should care about Christian integrity. This is particularly important at a time, uh, I mean, it's always important. Integrity is a fundamental characteristic of the Christian. Um, but particularly in a time now where we have a lot of government-mandated restrictions, which really rely upon the honesty system, um, there's just nowhere near enough resources that the government has that can actually... Um, enforce this completely. So they really rely upon um, people's integrity. They rely upon people doing the right thing, um, even when 99% uh, of them know that uh, they won't, the, the government at least for most of the things, won't be able to um, charge them with anything. It's really the extreme cases that get charged. But for the most part, it is down to the people's integrity. It's down to the honesty system. And this is uh, going to be helpful for us, this theme of integrity in understanding how we live as Christians in this life. Today, we will look briefly at the eighth and the ninth commandment in their context, super briefly. And then we will look um, at the wider picture of Christian integrity and see how these two themes of not stealing or not bearing false witness, which some people you may have heard it as not lying um, because lying comes under that um, idea of not bearing false witness. And we will see how the New Testament uh, not only reinforces this, but shows how, uh, I guess, what the bigger principle is for us to live by when we think about not stealing and not lying. So the Eighth Commandment, not to steal in the context of Israel was for various reasons, uh, one of which was to protect the rights of vulnerable people and property in general. So in the ancient Near East 3,000 years ago, uh, if you had a large family or if you owned significant property, um, you had, I guess, a lot of capital and it, you were far less vulnerable to people stealing. Um, because you just had a lot more influence. Whereas for someone who is vulnerable, like um, the widows, the orphans, the poor or the foreigner, the quartet of the vulnerable, as the Bible often um, groups them together, it really wasn't all that difficult to steal from them. It's not like today's society where everyone has um, an understanding of what is right and wrong. I mean, the people back then, those most vulnerable, were really at the mercy of a society that feared God to stop people from taking advantage of them. Because if they didn't fear God, it was very easy to take advantage of vulnerable people. And God has always had a particular concern for the most 
vulnerable of society. And so therefore his prohibition against stealing is also um, a concern for the most vulnerable of society and making sure that they live in an orderly fashion where uh, the weak and the powerless are not taken advantage of simply because they are weak and powerless. The command to not steal was also to do with the fact that God is a provider. God has revealed himself as a provider to the people. He provided a way out um, for the people of Israel from slavery. Even before that, he foreshadowed the provision of a Messiah by um, telling Abraham to sacrifice his son, but then providing um, a lamb or a ram in, in, in the um, nick of time, just as Abraham was about to take his son and showing that actually he is a provider. And that's where we get the term Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord will provide. And stealing in the context of God's covenant community would communicate that God has not provided for his people. It would communicate that he has not provided um, adequate resources for people. People have had to take matters into their own hands because they don't apparently have what they need. So stealing would also uh, go against God's revelation that he is a provider. Ultimately, thirdly, God commands not to steal quite simply because he wants his people to be a reflection of him, to be a reflection of his order and justice because God is a God of order and justice. So God's people are always to be a reflection of him. Our ninth commandment, to not bear false witness or to not lie. You might have seen if you grew up in Sunday school, it was probably simplified in the Ten Commandments as, as not lying. Um, the primary point of this commandment really is more in the context of uh, legal disputations in the covenant community. So it's more to do with actually not bringing a false witness against someone when the matter was already um, in court or trying to bring it to court. So it was to do with um, uh, someone bringing a false accusation or a false testimony against someone um, when the, there was a legal matter. So God is clearly concerned with people dealing in disingenuous ways toward others within his covenant community. That's really the principle behind this. And so though he clearly prohibits blatant lying, that's obviously not something that we are to do. The, the bigger command in this context is to not do anything deceptively toward your neighbor. In the same way that we saw how Jesus takes these commandments and he gets to the root of the issue, which is our heart. So if you, um, it's not that you uh, so much commit adultery, but it's when you actually look with lustful intent in your heart that you've committed adultery. In a similar way, to bear false witness is to to be acting deceptively and in a disingenuous way from your heart toward your neighbor. So the people of Israel were to be called faithful witnesses. They were to act honorably both toward God and toward others. And Proverbs 6 makes this uh, super explicit. In Proverbs 6, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, so prideful eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. 
So there is something particularly despicable in the eyes of God about someone intentionally spreading false reports about someone or something and lying in order to obtain a benefit. Uh, the scriptures are pretty clear to um, say how God loathes those characteristics. Now, both stealing and lying, as we summarize this, both stealing and lying, these two commandments, come from deceptive and disingenuous hearts. That's at the crux of this, which is to say they lack integrity. Uh, so that's why I want to approach this today, looking at these commandments under the umbrella of Christian integrity and why we should care about this. Um, integrity uh, in its simplest form is to be honest in action and intentions and stick by strong moral principles without wavering. So it is to act honestly and honorably, uh, in both in actions and intentions as well, and it is to have a, a moral compass that is strong, that you stand firm on. In 1 Corinthians 6, if you remember uh, a few weeks ago when we went over sexual immorality and we saw how uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and also in Ephesians is pretty clear to talk about um, those who remain in unrepentant sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. So they are going to hell. That's, that's what he's saying. And um, Christians can often be uh, seen as those who are, you know, always on about um, uh, sexual immorality and seem to have this bent against, against um, you know, homosexuality and uh, anything to do with sexual immorality, which sexual immorality obviously is, is uh, sinful and wrong. The Bible is clear. But in the context of whenever Paul talks about sexual immorality, apart from like one exception, um, attached to that is usually these other characteristics a lot of which describes someone who lacks integrity. So in the same passage in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul also says, neither thieves nor the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Uh, we don't really describe anyone as a swindler anymore, but a swindler is you know, someone who's, who's, you might have heard someone's being swindled like they're specifically using deception to take from them. So these are all characteristics of people who do not have integrity. Thieves and swindlers are those who specifically employ deception to obtain benefit from unjust means. So these characteristics are not the way of God. And so he doesn't want his covenant people living in this way. And therefore, in the New Testament, it is clear to reinforce that if you have a life that could be described by these things and you're unrepentant, then you have no part of Christ. Your life will demonstrate that you have not had the grace of God transform you. It's a very serious thing. And the primary reason that we are to be a people of integrity as Christians is because our primary task as God's people is to bear witness. We are to be his witnesses. 
That was the task given to Israel. You will be my witnesses. That's the task that Jesus in Acts 1.8 reaffirms for all of his disciples. You will be my witnesses. You will go out. You will testify. You will tell of me. And to be faithful witnesses, we have to have integrity. I'm sure you have all come across people in your life who have lacked integrity. Maybe some sales People, I'm not saying that all people in sales lack integrity. I used to be in sales when I was managing a gym. Um, not everyone lacks integrity in this, but I'm sure you come across salespeople who particularly, they just have like a, a way about them that just seems uh, not genuine. Like they've got their script in their head that they usually come to you and they try and sort of manipulate the you know your thoughts like do you enjoy coffee do you think coffee is expensive well how would you feel about sacrificing a coffee a day you know and spending forty dollars a month on on this particular thing that wouldn't be too expensive to you and they sort of have this script in there and you can tell it's not really them and you kind of think i'd much prefer if someone just seemed genuine then i feel like i could trust that person and listen to them but if you've come across people who uh lack authenticity and who seem to have a deceptive way about them. Uh, Jasmine and I went through a long process of trying to buy a house and we dealt with many real estate agents and the amount of times I just felt like I lost faith in all real estate agents because I could never get anyone actually being transparent with me. Uh, They were just always, they had the same language. You know, you might think this with every uh, politician talking about COVID cases and constantly saying, well, we pride ourselves on relying upon the best health advice. And that's the answer that they give to everything. And you kind of lose faith in them. Now, there's probably, you know, plenty more examples. But for us examining our own lives, could your life reflect any form of a lack of integrity or some Um, disingenuine way about you that would then call into question the message that you're trying to proclaim. And so this is why integrity is so important because as we go about our fundamental task of being witnesses to the surrounding world, our lives have to be consistent with our message. And if we are proclaiming a message about the truth, the truth that is Jesus Christ, then our lives should be truthful. We should have an honesty and an integrity about us. Leslie Newbegin, uh, one of my favorite missionaries of the last century, uh, talks about the congregation acting as a hermeneutic of the gospel, which is to say the congregation is an interpretation of the gospel. So he would say that uh, the way in which the gospel is credible to the surrounding world is when it is lived by and proclaimed by a community that truly believes it and that has lives that reflect that. So when we proclaim this self-giving love of God in giving up his only son for the sake of the world, the Christian community interprets that to the wider community by living lives that are self-sacrificial, by living lives that give of themselves, that actually live in light of the gospel and act as a hermeneutic to the gospel to the surrounding community. So that is how we give credibility to the message we proclaim is because when people see it, uh, that when people hear the message rather, they see it 
in a community that acts in self-giving love, that acts with justice, that actually is, has integrity about them. So God's people are to live with integrity. We are to live with integrity, which is to act honestly and consistent in our lives, showing no partiality, no partiality to anyone because that's not the way of our Father who showed no partiality in extending His love and grace to all kinds of sinners. So a few applications for us is that this surely means that we don't only talk to or engage with people who look like us or sound like us or people who we are comfortable with. That's showing partiality. That's not the way of the gospel. We engage with all kinds of people, whether we feel comfortable or not. We uh, befriend all kinds of people because that's the way of our Father who extended His grace and love to all kinds of sinners. Christ died for all kinds of people, so therefore we live with integrity in this way. We don't show partiality. Another area of integrity for us, for the Christian community, is that this means that we cannot simply be vocal about biblical truths which are already seen as virtuous in our society and then being awfully quiet about truths which are not seen as virtuous. So we can't speak very loudly about matters of mercy and justice because that's not going to get us heat. That will actually get us praise in society without equally talking about some of the more contentious issues like abortion or divorce or sexual immorality that God cares as much about. We have to have integrity in our message and be acting in a gracious way, not being obnoxious about it but certainly not showing partiality in what we're willing to talk about and what we're not. And the reality is that God sees through that anyway. So we show love to all people, both in merciful deeds and explaining that they are sinful at their core and in need of a savior before he returns in judgment. We don't show any partiality in the message. Just like Paul said, we Uh, proclaim the full counsel of God. Now, in Ephesians 4, if you have your Bibles in front of you, do turn to Ephesians 4 because this is where we will see how uh, Paul reinforces particularly these commandments under the banner of uh, Christian integrity or the being clothed in this new life. And in Ephesians 4, uh, from... Uh, the sort of second half of Ephesians 4 from verses 17 onwards, Paul uh, talks about Christian integrity as the mark of followers of Jesus. And so from verse 25, he says, having put away falsehood. So he's assuming those who are following Christ, you will put away falsehood. Therefore, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor which is to say, do not bear false witness and do not lie. So put off falsehood, put off lies and lacking integrity and speak the truth with your neighbor. Don't lie to them. He goes on to say, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So not only do not steal, but have good character and work ethic 
among you so that you demonstrate a life to integrity, so that you demonstrate that you are able to, uh, under God's grace, provide in the community of God's people. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk. Now, uh, in, I think, the ESV, the word integrity is only used once. And it's a word that uh, in Greek is used many other times, but the translators have just translated it as integrity once in this occasion in, I think, 1 or 2 Timothy. And the definition of this word is incorruptibility. So that's kind of an aspect of integrity is incorruptibility. And Paul says here, let no corrupting talk. So be incorruptible in your speech. Don't let any corruption in your speech come out, whether it's mocking someone, whether it is bringing someone down with your words. Instead, speak that which is for building up that it may give grace to those who hear. So don't have the kind of deception and dishonesty or plain impurity in your speech that would then call into question not only your character, but also the character of this God that you claim to follow. In uh, this context in Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about the new life that we have in Christ. So, and he, the language he uses is, is being clothed in this new life. And it's interesting that in verse 19, he says, uh, they, which is, he's referring to those who are not in Christ or Gentiles. So he's basically saying they, those who are not in Christ, have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. And the word for sensuality is a word which means no self-restraint. So these people who are not in Christ have given themselves over to sensuality. They don't have any restraint. To have integrity is to have self-restraint. So when you want to push the boundaries on something, you have enough restraint not to go there. When you feel led to compromise on that conviction that you have because it will mean no heat for you in the workplace, like maybe if you're asked to subscribe to um, wearing uh, perhaps an LGBT flag in the workplace or um, going out for drinks at the pub and being uh, pushed into doing more and more shots or something like that. Integrity is to have restraint. It's to restrain yourself um, because of your convictions. So to live with integrity is to be inflexible when it comes to compromising on our convictions. Now, we want to be flexible in many areas of our life. Like Christian freedom says that we, we are flexible. So we want to be flexible when it comes to those who are for or against vaccines or for or against lockdowns. We want to be flexible and show love toward people when it doesn't come to uh, things that the Word of God speaks about. We want to be very flexible in that. But we want to be inflexible when it comes to our consciences being bound by the Word of God. And the German monk Martin Luther gives a very good example of what being inflexible um, 
looks like when your conscience is bound by the Word of God. So most of you would know Martin Luther uh, back in the 16th century was one of the great reformers and he was called by the church at the time, which was the Roman Catholic Church. Um, he was called to stand before the papacy uh, literally 500 years ago this year, so in 1521, he was called to stand before the papacy and basically recant everything. So take everything back. So they're saying, hey, Luther, take everything bad that you said against us back and we'll let you live. Everything will be okay. And Martin Luther, standing before them, said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So he says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I'm totally inflexible on this. There's no way I'm pushing this. My conscience is bound. I will not recant anything because to go against that is to lack integrity. And that's not safe. The Christian cannot lack integrity. The Christians are to live consistent with their convictions at all times. Now, as we uh, bring this to a close and think about integrity back in the context of these commands on stealing and bearing false witness. Uh, firstly, on stealing. It's, it's blatantly obvious that we don't steal. Could end the sermon there. But the implication of stealing is also that you are not to end up with something that is not rightfully yours. And this is where the gray area comes in. So uh, all of you would know uh, Jasmine and I were renting in Theodore and we, uh, praise God, got this house uh, almost two months ago, six weeks ago. And we had uh, gas and electricity bills for our house in Theodore. And when we uh, moved out, we ended that. I got the bill for the gas within like a week and I hadn't received the bill for the electricity and I knew it should be coming and then I logged into to my accounts and it said, you have a balance of zero dollars, your account is closed, nothing to pay. Now, some people, and I know what I would have done certainly 10 years ago before I was following Christ, that would have been an awesome um, privilege. I don't know if I would have even paid if I got the bill, but certainly I would have taken advantage of, of that. But to, to have integrity is to realize that uh, we used electricity. We should be paying for that. So to have integrity is to then go and seek rectification of that. Now, before I even had to do that, they did send the bill. I got it and paid it. Um, it would have been a process trying to rectify it. But I believe that the call for Christians to live with integrity is to seek rectification of that to make sure that you pay what is owed to you that's what paul says in romans 13 pay to all what is owed so that is to live with christian integrity it would lack integrity if you just said guess i'll take this one that would uh, lack integrity so living with integrity when it comes to not stealing is to ensure as far as it is within your control, that you do not end up with something that is not rightfully yours. Now, a key fact that we get from the command not to steal is that private property is okay. So we, we see that 
given that God says do not steal, it implies that private property is okay. Private property was okay in the ancient Near East. Private property is okay now. It's okay for us to, to own a house uh, that's not stealing. But the fact that we have private property necessarily involves stewardship. So what we own, we own for the glory of God. To whom much is given, much will be expected. You are to steward what you've been given well. So not only do we not steal other people's property, but we also do not hoard or hold back our resources in a greedy way because that is stealing from God since everything that we have is from Him. In Malachi chapter 3, God talks about this to the people of Israel. And if you've ever been influenced by prosperity-related teachers, this is a go-to passage to get people to give because it's where God says... um, Test me and give your tithes and see if I will not open the storehouse for you. But that's sort of losing the meaning of this. So the the meaning isn't so much that we uh, give more money so that we can then get more of a blessing. The principle of this passage here in Malachi 3 is that everything that we have been given is given by God. And we are to steward it well. So in Malachi chapter 3, from verse 8, God says, uh, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So the people were withholding the tithes. Now in Israel, there were three particular tithes that were mandated for the community that ended up to be about 23.3% because there were two yearly 10% tithes and then there was a tithe 10% given over three years. So it sort of worked out to be about 23.3% and it was usually of your crops. And they were supposed to be given mostly to the Levitical priests because they were the workers of God so that they could then continue the work. And the people in this context were clearly withholding. They were holding back the tithes and offerings. Uh, and God is saying, don't do that. Don't, don't rob me. Even though I own everything, don't rob me. So God's point is that he owns everything and simply asks for a percentage back. He lets you keep the vast majority of it. But he calls us to steward our resources by giving to him, not because he needs the money. God doesn't need the money. But because it reminds us as we give that all that we have is from the Lord. What do we have that we have not received from him? Our finances, our food, the very breath that we breathe is from the Lord. And he calls us to steward that well for his glory. Now, the bigger principle of Malachi chapter 3 and of not stealing in the context of acting with Christian integrity is, of course, Romans 12, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. What has God purchased? He has purchased you, body and soul. He has purchased you with his blood, which means he owns you. 
He owns you. He owns everything. Like Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch of this world where the risen Christ does not proclaim mine. He owns everything and particularly you, me, us. He owns us. So to steward what we have been given and not to steal from God is to give ourselves to him. That is acting with integrity. We give our time. We give our resources. We give our complete devotion and adoration to him since he is worthy of it. And not to do so would be robbing God. Now, what about bearing false witness? We know that bearing false witness is to act in a disingenuous way towards others. It is to be deceitful. And a key principle of integrity when it comes to uh, not bearing false witness or not lying is to think about what we are communicating either by saying or by not saying something. This is when we, again, get into the gray area of this. Uh, So will telling this story about someone contribute to an unhealthy image that that person already has, even if that story is true? To act with integrity is to think about what that is going to communicate. Maybe you realize that it will communicate a very unhelpful message in that person's mind, even though that story is true. Or to act with integrity, is my withholding of this information going to obtain a benefit for me that I shouldn't rightfully have? Remember that God judges our hearts, he will know there's nothing hidden from him. So it's not so much only telling the truth, it's sometimes realizing what are we communicating? What are our hearts trying to communicate by either saying or not saying something? Those who have integrity do not push these boundaries through deceptive and disingenuous ways. So for us right now, How far do we push some of the restrictions that are imposed upon us? Do we employ deceptive strategies thinking about what will I say to someone if they ask, how long have you been out for? Well, what do they mean by out? What really is it to be out? Are you going to kind of try and use deceptive ways to get around it? That is lying. It's using deception. It's lacking integrity. Now, there are some exceptions to this. While we want to live with integrity, uh, it may not be helpful, kind of as I alluded to earlier, to always speak the truth. Like when someone asks you uh, and they, they genuinely do look ridiculous and they ask you, do I look silly? Probably not the best to say it as bluntly and truthfully as that. Maybe it's better to sugarcoat it a little bit for their sake. There are examples in the Bible of where uh, potential deceit or lying is actually commended. So we think of the Hebrew midwives where there was a, or the Egyptian midwives, sorry, um, that were uh, allowing the Hebrew women to give birth after the Pharaoh had said, make sure you kill every newborn 
uh, male kill them all. And the Egyptians lied and said, oh, these women are too quick for us. The babies just pop out and, and we can't actually control them. And actually God commends them for doing that. But I would say these are mostly exceptions to the rule. The bigger principle is to always act with integrity by seeking the good of others. And that will almost always involve communicating truthfully and consistently. So this is basically to mean what you say and say what you mean. That's what it means to act with integrity. Hello, dear. Now, this is where uh, we cannot allow smaller acts, maybe seemingly innocent acts of deceit and being disingenuous to remain in our lives because they actually set a trend for us. Hello, dear. Um, so I want to just help us understand how things that we probably don't think too much about. Remember how a few weeks ago I spoke about uh, one of the principles of avoiding sexual immorality is to err on the side of caution and how wisdom is to err on the side of caution. Pride is to push boundaries. This is the same principle here. So if you say you're going to do something, do it. It's not rocket science. If you say you're going to pray for someone, I always, uh, by the grace of God, I just had this in my life early on, just a conviction upon it, that I never wanted to be someone who said, I'll pray for you and just throw it out there as you know something and never actually take the time to pray for them. So I either always make sure I write a note the moment I say to someone, I'll pray for you, or I say then and there, let me pray for you now. But don't allow these things to come in. Don't allow these you know, light sayings to come in that are actually disingenuous. If you say you're going to be somewhere at a particular time, be there. There's, if we allow these smaller acts of being disingenuous to remain in our lives, it will set a dangerous trajectory toward other acts of, uh, that lack integrity. Now, as I finish, the, the beautiful thing about our call to integrity as followers of Christ, this is the wonderful reality of this call to integrity. It is that as we seek to live upright lives of integrity, we don't do it in order to earn the approval that comes with integrity, but we do it because we have already received the approval of a life of integrity since we received the life of Jesus. So this is back to Ephesians 4, where Paul is talking about uh, being clothed in Christ. Notice the way Paul explains that we are to put away corrupt and deceitful desires, put away that corrupt speech, put away things that lack integrity because we have received this new self. We've received a new self, which is created after the likeness of God. So in verses 21 and 22, he says, You were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness 
and holiness. So put on this new self. I've spoken about this to you guys many times before, that, that jumper I have that says, meet the real Jesus, that because it's bright yellow, it already attracts people to it, but they also see the big Jesus on it. And there are times where I, I'm far more conscious about my actions when I'm wearing that because I'm, I'm simply living out the reality of all the time where I represent Jesus. We are ambassadors of Jesus. So I wonder for you, if you wore a jumper every single day that said, hey, I'm a Christian or hey, I love Jesus, representing Jesus, would there be things that you either would or wouldn't do that you usually do or don't do? Would someone look at you and say, hang on, you represent Jesus, but you never talk to me. You're always rude. You never say hello. When I asked you to come, you know, to my gathering, you didn't come and you throw out casual invites to me, but it doesn't really seem like you care for me. Would there be things, like would there be things that people could say that actually would demonstrate that you are not living with integrity? This is the reality for us. We, we put on integrity. We live with honesty and faithfulness toward others because this clothing, so we, whether you like it or not, if you follow Christ, you've got that jumper that says, hey, representing Jesus. You've got a mark on your forehead. And so because we've been clothed in that, we live in integrity. We live based on the likeness of true righteousness and holiness. The call to integrity for those in Christ is the call to live out the reality that God has already given you when he clothed you in his robe of righteousness. This is the beautiful truth that we should feel the weight of this. We should feel the burden to live with integrity. We should feel the burden of, of in a sense, like it's not bad to think about what others might think of you when they know you're representing Jesus. That's, a, that's an okay burden to have. It should never consume us because the whole reason why we wear the jumper that says we are representing Jesus and the whole reason why we live with integrity is because we've already been clothed in it. In the eyes of God, in the eyes of the God of heaven and earth, he sees us as perfectly, as embodying perfect integrity because we are in Christ, who is a man of impeccable integrity, the only man of impeccable integrity. And so we get to wear this team jersey because we've already been clothed in it. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, you've already been clothed in that. God's grace has been poured out upon you. You have integrity. Now live, live in light of this. We remember the grace, but we remember, as we always talk about, the grace of God is empowering to say no to worldly passions, to say no to sensuality and to live upright lives of integrity.